You're listening to a podcast of New Covenant Church. Join us Sundays at 10.30 a.m. in Pompano. We had a lot of time meeting over coffee. When it first started, you know, I would get there early or Adam would get there early. And when I got there early, it was like, hey, what do you want? As if that was a complicated question because he's a simple man. He goes, oh, just coffee. What do you mean, just coffee, just coffee? Because you know at coffee shops today, right, it's not just about coffee. We get to exercise choices. There's so many different choices. When he got there before I did, and he goes, hey, I'm going to get the coffee while you're on your way. I'm like, mm, it's complicated. <laughs> and increasingly, when I got there and I started, you know, and get my coffee ready and I'm weighing it, I'm like, no, it's not done correctly. It was, he was just fascinated by it all. But we love choices, don't we? There is, you know, the espresso and cappuccino and frappuccino and the lattes, and uh, then there's the flavors, right? There's the mocha and the caramel. And, uh, oh, I don't get the pumpkin spice thing, but I understand people are into that in this season. And um, then there's the cold brew and the pour over. And just so you know, since we've started having coffee, he's upped his coffee game. So I, I got to peek in his office today, and he has this, like, um, really set up, you know, a little cool setup back there. And so I appreciate that God has finally given you the revelation of choices for coffee. Adam, just keep it up. But I just want you to know, not only do we like choices, we were created in God's image. God gave us the freedom and the ability to make choices. But I also want you to know that God has given us a choice that we need to make. And that choice is found in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 30, verse 19. It's going to be projected for you. Um, Our main passage today is going to be from Matthew 18. So go ahead and turn to Matthew 18. Let me read Deuteronomy 30 for you. It says, Today I have given you the choice between life and death, blessings and curses. Now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice you make, oh, that you would choose life so that you and your descendants might live. Did you notice our choices not only affect us as far as God's word is concerned, it affects our kids, perhaps even our grandkids and our descendants beyond that. And today we're gonna look at a choice that many of us face daily. It's a choice that affects our mental or emotional state. It's a choice that affects our connection with God in a really big way. It's a choice that affects our relationships, that definitely affects our marriages and our kids. It is a choice that, in a sense, it's a choice that could free us, and it's a choice that could imprison us. It's a choice that can make us or break us. It's a choice that could bless our lives or mess us up for a really long time. It's perhaps the most difficult choice that you and I are presented with. And it's simply this. It's the choice to forgive. So as Jesus was teaching his disciples about prayer in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 to verse 15, he says, you pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He continues, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, 
but deliver us from evil. And it seems Jesus shifts from teaching them about prayer into a conversation on forgiveness. He says, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father would also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Wow. One of the most important and powerful principles in all of the Bible is this principle of forgiveness. It's receiving forgiveness and giving forgiveness, and they are inseparably linked together, like a two-edged sword. You cannot be forgiven unless you forgive, is what the scriptures tell us really plainly. And in all honesty, you cannot really forgive until you first experience or understand what it is to be forgiven. They're linked together. You see, God knows that we are imperfect, broken people. And it is hard for us to let go of resentments and hurts. And each of us, when I use the, the, the word forgive, I'm sure it conjures up a picture of a person or an individual or maybe a situation that we've all had to wrestle with. It's a weighty word. It's a tough word to reconcile things from our past and to forgive. Let me ask you, how can we forgive a relative who molested us? How can we really forgive an ex-spouse who continues to malign us? How can we forgive a thief who has stolen precious things from us? How can we forgive a murderer who has taken away a loved one? How can we forgive a people that has enslaved and oppressed us? How can we forgive a corporation that used our gifts and then discarded us along the way for somebody cheaper, somebody younger? How can we forgive a parent who abandoned us? How can we forgive a child who has brought shame or maybe has chosen to, to do things that are just destructive to the family? How can we forgive stupidity? I got a tough one with that. How can we forgive hatred, bigotry, cruelty, war, greed, poverty, pollution, the Holocaust? How could you forgive that? How can we, in fact, really obey God in this way? The truth is, we all ascribe to the old adage, right? We prefer, don't get mad. Get? Oh, you guys have been all saints in church today. Yeah, don't get mad, you get even. You get some justice going, right? The truth is we can't forgive unless we remember what forgiving is not. And this is really important. Forgiving is not forgetting. It is rather choosing not to actively remember. Forgiving is not saying to the other party, you're okay. It's saying, I'm okay. And I'm willing to let God deal with whether you're okay, and I would hope he will bring you on a path towards being okay. 
Forgiving is not saying, I don't feel the pain anymore. It is saying, I do not feel the need to hold you and your involvement in this pain anymore. Matthew chapter 18, verses 21. We're going to read a lot of this passage today, but I want you to know Peter thought he got the understanding of what forgiveness really was, and he thought he'll ask Jesus a question with the intent of hoping he could impress Jesus along the way, right? And Jesus takes the time to really unpack what forgiveness really means. Let's take a look at the passage together. Beginning in verse 21, then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will I forgive my brother How often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? And you could hear the sort of the pride in Peter's voice. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Some passages actually interpret that as 70 times seven. Any which way is a big number. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold, his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii and seizing him and began to choke him saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me, I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he paid the debt. What an awesome and straightforward parable Jesus tells his disciples that day. When Jesus teaches to forgive someone 77 times or 70 times seven, he's not saying to forgive them 77 times and on the 78th time, man, you could get them. Just slam them. You've done your part. He's using a hyperbole. It's an illustration. He's actually exaggerating for the purpose of of providing emphasis in what he's saying. For instance, it is said, the king had a servant who owed him millions. They tell us a servant owed the king 10,000 talents. Do some quick math. Let me tell you what that conservatively means today. That conservatively represented 60 million days wages. I've seen different scholars sort of unpack this number. The most conservative number they could come up with is $6 billion. This guy owed the king $6 billion. Simply put, Jesus is saying he owes the king a debt that he could never pay. That's the point. The king freely forgave the debt as if the king took it out of his own pocket and said, I will settle your debt. But then the servant would forgive somebody who owed him compared to six billion, pocket change. The point, God has forgiven 
you and I a debt that we can never pay. That's the point. No one can ever pay for their sins. No one can ever be good enough, do enough penance to account for their sins. So God sends his son to die on a cross so that he himself can pay a debt that we can never pay, so that we can be restored into relationship, unto a journey of wholeness with him. All we have to do is say, God, I repent of my sins. Would you forgive me? And freely receive the gift of God's grace and mercy. And if you have never done that or haven't had an opportunity to, at the end of today's message, we'll provide that opportunity for you. But the hyperbole continues. The illustration continues, represented by the servant, not forgiving the one who owed him pocket change. God forgives us of our sinful nature, of our rebellion, of our failing woefully below his standard. And then someone looks at us the wrong way or messes up our Chick-fil-A order and we're ready to send them to hell in a basket. It's essentially what it means. Verse 31, when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went out and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also, watch this, our heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Wow. That's pretty powerful. It's important then to pray, forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. But what if this is something that we really care about? Recently on the, on the news, we all may have seen the story of this uh, young man who forgave a police officer, a woman that was responsible for the death of his brother. I mean, what a tragic story, tragic on both sides, tragic for this young man who walked into his own apartment and, got, and was killed, tragic for this police officer who I am sure, you know, decided to serve her community in this profession and made a horrible mistake and now she's in jail. It's a tragic story on both ends. But what was amazing was the brother of this young man who decided that he was going to exercise forgiveness and hugged her. I don't know if that's shocked, but it should. It should shock us all. But it wouldn't. Man, I could understand if, you know, she killed his pet hamster. I'm not against hamsters, by the way. My wife has a hamster, and I'm not digging the hamster. But my brother... My sibling, my flesh and blood, boy, that's really tough. That is really tough. I want you to know Jesus makes it really clear. He said, we forgive regardless of the number of times the offense occurs, but he doesn't stop there. He said, we forgive regardless of the weightiness of the offense. And that's where it's really heavy. 
And that's a hard one to reconcile. Instead, here is how we like to process it. We like to process it and we like to think about what it means to generally imprison those who offense us. And sometimes it's a lot easier, right, to just say, you know, just lock them and throw away the key. So somebody hit my car, I'm, I'm coming after you. Not my baby out in the parking lot. Or somebody turned your child onto drugs and now messed up his future and his life. No, I, I just want that person to, to get caught and I want them to rot in jail. Oh, how about this one? You find out that your son-in-law has been abusing your daughter for years. I know what the first thing coming to my mind. A little torture. Then let him rot in jail. Right? Somehow we feel that the choice not to forgive provides some sort of twisted justice for us, for the one offended. But actually what Jesus is saying, it actually imprisons the one who chooses to hold the grudge. That we would choose to forgive is actually for our good. It's for our benefit. It's for the future of our lives that we would choose to forgive. Our life will no longer be controlled or defined by this past pain. So today, I want to present just five simple practical steps. And I realize this is a, it's for some, it seems like a heavy hill to climb, a steep hill to climb, and a heavy thing to carry. But I want to give you five simple steps towards how do we practically forgive. First of all, it's important that we be specific. When somebody has offended us, when somebody has done something against us, be specific. We need to clearly define what it is that requires forgiveness. We don't drag the last 15 years of cumulative grievances into the one issue. Avoid the error of exaggerating the effect, because that's what we're all tempted to do. He forgot to take out the trash last night. It is not confirmation your marriage is imploding. He's not a good for nothing. Or perhaps she saw this really cool sale and bought this new purse, and she forgot to tell you about it. No, it's not because it's the end of the world. It's a purse. And all the women said, amen. <laughs> Be specific about what requires forgiveness. Secondly, remember our own forgiveness. It only takes one quick private look inwardly to make us painfully aware of our own need for forgiveness. I happen to believe the sins we see most easiest in others are the sins we first see within ourselves. We cannot, we can never practice forgiveness with any trace of smug superiority in our souls. As a matter of fact, it's more like this, but for the grace of God, there go I. But for God's grace, I too will need forgiveness. So be specific, remember our own need for forgiveness. Ephesians chapter four, Verse 32 says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, 
forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. It's extremely important that once we confess our sin to God, that we too receive his forgiveness. I know there are many of us actually find it easier to forgive somebody else than to forgive ourselves. If we don't, if we continue to beat up on ourselves, I want you to know that we're saying our standard of forgiveness is higher than God's. You know why? Because he chose to forgive us. We're also saying, and we're also belittling the act that enabled us to be forgiven. The Son of God dying on Calvary to pay for our sins and our forgiveness. It's important that you not only learn to forgive others, but start with forgiving yourself. And say, God, I receive your forgiveness. Why don't we do that all together today? Let's say this. God forgives me, therefore I forgive myself. I think we could do a little better than that. God forgives me, therefore I forgive myself. Good. Thirdly, sacrifice our rights in prayer. Mark 11 verse 25 says, and whenever you stand praying, forgive. For if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8, it tells us that love, which is the force behind our forgiveness, covers a multitude of sins. You see, love is only able to do that because love always lays down the right to be right. Love lays down its rights. It's about sacrificing our rights when we get on our knees in prayer. You know, some of us, me included, are very competitive. And we know how to argue with the best of them. Our goal is, therefore, to win at all accounts. And we can come up with the best argument why, you know, they don't deserve to be forgiven on this particular issue. Just saying. I got my 10 points lined up. All right? But love's goal is not to win the argument. Love's goal is to win relational harmony. Love's goal is to honor God. It's even when it is right to lay down the right to be right. That's love's goal. And if you and I are going to make a mistake about someone, let it always be in the sight of mercy. Let it always be in the sight of grace. Number four, we forgive by faith, not according to our feelings. We forgive by faith. Well, I just don't feel ready to forgive. Forgiveness has never been and will never be a feeling. It is not a feeling, nor should it be based on feelings. It is a decision we make. It's an act of faith we make, not our feelings. I just need a little time. They say, you know, time... I'll feel better, I'll be able to forgive. After all, time heals all wounds, doesn't it? Actually, it doesn't. Time doesn't heal all wounds. Time actually allows an infection to spread. 
it actually breeds deep-rooted bitterness within us. That's why it's important, even when we don't feel that we could possibly be ready, emotionally strong enough to say, God, I'm choosing to forgive, and I'm choosing this as an act of faith. And I believe, God, that you will give me the strength to walk this out. I believe, God, that you've called me to do this for my good, not just for their good. And I choose to be obedient to you. Let me tell you this. You have absolutely no control of how someone has hurt you in the past or to what degree they've inflicted pain on you. We have no control over that. But we do have complete control over whether we will let the memory of that issue incarcerate us. We do have control to make the decision to forgive as our Father in heaven has forgiven us. And if we don't make that decision, we would forever be tethered to that person for the rest of our lives. They're not even thinking about us, but we're thinking about them. We too can imprison others by our actions and by our words. Parents, please, 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 don't underestimate the impact of your words. I've done a lot of time counseling couples and a lot of time counseling um, people who are divorcees. And I always encourage them, don't use your words to disparage your ex. Don't do that. And don't do it in front of your kids because you are going to impact them in ways that you can't help them. You know, Gilda Radner tells a story of a time when her dog was pregnant and got their hind legs run over by a lawnmower. And unfortunately, the vet amputated the dog's hind legs. The dog went ahead and gave birth to puppies. And the only way this dog can move around is to pull itself forward on its front paws and just roll its behind up. Pull itself forward on its front paws and then roll its behind forward. And all of its puppies pull itself forward on its front paws and roll their behinds forward. You see, our kids are watching and they watch the way we handle trauma and pain. How we treat the ex will impact how they would relate to them. Never, 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 let's never just carry and nurse unforgiveness in our hearts, but let's deal with it. How? Forgiveness is a choice. It is an act of faith. It is not based on whether the person deserves it. That's a lie from the enemy. It is not based on whether they deserve it. It's a choice to free ourselves from that offense and that hurt. Forgiveness actually doesn't require the other person to admit they're wrong. Many of us hide behind that one. Well, I'll I'll forgive them when they admit they're wrong. No, it has nothing to do with whether they admit they're wrong. And it does not also deny the responsibility of the offender. Forgiving doesn't say they were right to offend you, no. Doesn't require them to admit they're wrong and it doesn't deny their responsibility. It doesn't minimize and it does not justify the offense. And it doesn't mean you will be best friends. 
Forgiveness is about the past. Trusting someone in a relationship is all about the future. Let's be willing to forgive. Luke chapter 6, verse 37 says, Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Have you noticed how many times the scripture is repeating this one principle to us? It's an important principle in heaven. It's an important principle on earth. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Finally, follow words with actions. Identifying a wrong and voicing forgiveness is not really worth anything if you continue to behave in a way that incarcerates the person. Well, I'm just not going to talk to them. They're coming down this aisle. Oh, I think I need to go this way. Follow words with actions. You remember the Garden of Eden? When God gave them all of these beautiful trees and fruit, to eat from. I just said one thing, don't eat from this tree. Eat from this tree, you will surely die. What did they do? They ended up eating from the tree. And then God comes looking for Adam in the cool of the day, and he goes, Adam, where are you? And it's as if God didn't know. And Adam is hiding, and he goes, I was naked. And God said, who told you you were naked? And he knew what happened. They had brought on shame and nakedness because they ate from the very tree God asked them not to eat from. But I want you to see God's actions. God will, we have the rest of the story. He will send his son to pay the price. He will send a new Adam so that we could be restored to him. But do you know what God did for Adam? He found him hiding and Eve hiding under some bushes in the cool of the day. You know what he did? The Bible says in Genesis chapter 3, verse 21, and the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. You see, God didn't want them living with that shame. So he clothed. Did they deserve to be clothed? No. Did they get what? had coming to them, perhaps because of their disobedience, but still, God moved past and responded in mercy, and he clothes them. Truth be told, forgiveness is really only possible when you find a reason, a reason powerful enough to forgive. For us, I give you one, that God forgave you. But I want to show you another. Jesus hanging on the cross. The Bible says, he yells out to his father, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus had a reason. And he appealed to his dad to forgive us for how we responded. You could go ahead and play. I believe God has given us ample reasons throughout our lives. Time and time again, it doesn't take long to find and to discover how we've messed up and how loving and forgiving God has been. But I want to share the story of this 
this couple, like all couples, they, they met each other and fell in love. And, and um, this particular couple, the, the guy was actually the first to come into a salvation experience. And they had a lot of kids together. And so he brought his wife and his kids to church. And, and they all discovered the good news of, of the gospel and had their lives transformed. And then he met some, started hanging out with some new friends. They eventually sort of convinced him that, hey, you know, you don't need to do that lifestyle. Let's try this one. He eventually started drinking. He eventually turned and became an alcoholic. He eventually continued along that path and then got into an adulterous relationship. Instead of reconciling what he did that was wrong and was breaking his family apart, he decided to leave his wife and his kids and pursue this new relationship. And then he eventually got married. And the wife he left at home, man, his kids were less angry. They were just, because they started seeing him around with this new lady. And they were so upset and so offended by it all. And they would go to her and say, I can't believe he did that. He is, he's just, just awful. Can't believe we called him father. And she'd always tell them, pray for him. Pray for him. The biggest wrong he's made is not the adultery. The biggest wrong is that he's left his relationship with God. Pray for him that he will come back and repent of his sins. Well, it wasn't, it was a few years that they sort of lived apart. He went over his new life and his new family and she continued. She worked morning and night to raise their kids and to continue and just kept reminding them, pray for him, pray for him, honor your dad, pray for him. Eventually his new wife died. And not liking living alone, he moved back in the same city of his ex-wife. Wanted a relationship with his kids, but feeling really guilty every time he came around. So if it got too like gooey, it was like, oh, I gotta go. And then the most tragic thing happened to him. He's crossing the street one day, and an 18-wheeler comes out of nowhere and he got caught under the back wheels of an 18-wheeler and almost lost his life. He actually lost his leg. Finds himself in the hospital, in emergency, and who's by his bedside? The very woman that he left. And he turns to her and he goes, could you ever forgive me? She said, I forgave you many years ago. And it so happened that his wound really needed very careful attention. And he couldn't really afford to get a nurse to take care of it. And so she said, you know what, I'll, I'll, I'll take care of you. She brought him into her home in a separate room that she had 
and nursed his wound back to health. The doctors were so astounded at the care he was getting. They were like, you must have a really good nurse because actually, no, it's my, it's my ex-wife. And then he began to sort of try to figure out how to have a relationship with his kids, but it was really hard. But his ex-wife decided one day, you know what, it's time. And she said, you need to come back to Jesus. You need to surrender your life back to him. That's the biggest, beyond the, the leg, that's way more important than the leg. That's eternity. And she led him back to the Lord. And he gave his life back to Jesus. And then he went on and tried living, understood what it is to finally have freedom, finally taste forgiveness. And then a sudden turn of events, and he passed away. And on May the 12th, Sorry, 24th, take 2003, we buried our dad. And I remember the one thing my mom asked as we were preparing the service. She said, whenever you buy his plot, make sure you get a double plot. Because I want to be buried next to the husband of my youth. Last year, we lost our mom on March the 12th, and she got her last wish. Now they're both in heaven together. And she's lived a life of what it is to not keep accounts and what it is to serve and faithfully obey her God. And her testimony lives on forever in the lives of her kids. And they eventually didn't know they had... 13 kids together. And God restored our family in a way that only He can. I realize that this topic is heavy and daunting and scary. But I would be remiss if I didn't give us all an opportunity to say, God, we want to respond to you by faith. There are these little sticky notes in the back of the chair in front of you. And they're in black. They're very private. And there may be a pen close by. And I want to lead us in a prayer. But I want to invite you to take a small step of faith. Because when we talk about forgiveness, I know there's a person, a name that comes to you. And for some of us, it's our own name. It's our own selves. And as I pray, I want to ask you to take a minute, write down that name, and then crumble that paper up and you present it before God and say, God, I release this unforgiveness from my heart today. Grab the paper. Let's go ahead and respond, not just to me or to this idea, but respond to God. Because He's the one that asks us to do this. Maybe for you, it's you need to forgive your dad or your mom or a sibling or an ex 
or an ex-boyfriend, or maybe it's a child, whoever it is, write that name down. We're going to, by faith, surrender it to the Lord. So, Father, God, you know our thoughts, our minds, our hearts, what's going on. And God, by faith, we surrender this unforgiveness to you. God, only you can heal. Only you can deliver. And we ask you, God, to untether the pain from us. I pray, God, that as we respond, you will draw us and bring us on a journey towards freedom and wholeness like never before. God, we release it not in our strength. By faith, we release it in your strength. And we thank you, Jesus, for doing that for us today. Maybe as you were involved in an exercise, you have never really asked God to forgive you of your sins. In front of the seat, in front of you is a connection card. I want to encourage you to take a moment and surrender your life. If you've never done it, or you've done it many years ago and walked away from your relationship with God as my dad did, to recommit your life to God. And then you hold on to that card, provide it to one of the pastors or the leaders up here, and they will help you begin a new journey with Jesus. God bless you.